We're going to be in Mark chapter 4 this morning. We're going to talk about the sower. And I love this portion of scripture. This is a really, there's a lot here. A lot we can learn. One of the things that's interesting about the Gospels is that when the Lord is teaching, it says in verse number 1, Mark chapter 4, He began again to teach by the seaside, and there was gathered unto Him a great multitude. You've got a lot of people He's talking to. And one of, the, one of the most familiar things that He can get everybody to relate to is agriculture. But that's not necessarily the case nowadays. Did anybody grow up on a farm? One person? That's what I mean. Wow. Anybody have a garden growing up? couple of you that's hilarious so this will be new information but this should be familiar to most people I was fortunate enough to grow up on a, a small farm a hobby farm my family now has a, a large farm um, but let's keep reading we're going to get down to verse number three before we stop he began again to teach a great multitude so that he entered into a ship and sat on the sea and the whole multitude was by the sea on the land and he taught them many things by parables and said unto them in his doctrine hearken Behold, there went out a sower to sow. Here's the first point. Brother David prayed earlier that we would have ears to hear. That's what the Lord would constantly tell the people he's preaching to. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. There's a difference between hearing and listening. Do you have ears to hear? Do you have expectations when you hear the word of God? Do you expect God to show you something when you read the Bible? Hearing and listening are two different things. And then he says, behold, he wants to turn our attention to this sower this man in a field. And this sower, this is very significant. It says there went out a sower to sow because you have a man that is doing exactly what he's supposed to do. But before he can sow, if you're going to farm something, you don't just walk out into the field and sow seed. Now we'll read about what this sower does, but in order to properly farm, you have to first plow the ground. Before the sower can sow, a man with a plow must break up the ground, loosening the soil to prepare it to receive the seed. Stay in Mark chapter 4. Come with me to Proverbs chapter 1 and John 16. Proverbs 1, John 16. Before the sower can sow, the ground must be plowed, broken up, and loosened and prepared to receive the seed. Proverbs 1, verse number 20. Wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice in the streets, she crieth in the chief place of concourse, in the openings of the gates, in the city she uttereth her words, saying, How long, ye simple ones, will ye love simplicity? And the scorners delight in their scorning, and fools hate knowledge. Turn you at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. Verse 23 is the key there. Now come with me to John 16. I will pour out my spirit. I will make known my words unto you. John 16, we'll read verses 7 and 8. Jesus says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you. But if I depart, I will send him unto you. And when he is come, he will reprove the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. So God's spirit plows the heart of man in order to prepare it to receive the word of God. Let's keep reading. We're going to read about the sower. He says, Behold, there went out a sower to sow. And it came to pass, as he sowed, that some fell by the wayside. 
The fowls of the air came and devoured it up, and some fell on stony ground, where it had not much earth, and immediately it sprang up, because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away, and some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no fruit, and other fell on good ground, and did yield fruit that sprang that sprang up and increased, and brought forth some thirty, some sixty, and some an hundred. And he said unto them, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. This is a great truth in this passage. We're going to keep reading here in a second, but there's two things I want to notice. I want you to notice here. Number one is that the sower is God, sowing his word and his preaching into our hearts. Our hearts are the ground, but you determine which ground your heart is. Number two, the sower is the believer. So there's two ways you can, you can read this passage. And if we have time at the end, I want to focus on that, but I don't know if we will. We'll see. So the sower is God. The sower is us, sowing God's word into the hearts of men. And notice where the seed is sown. Okay, let's keep reading. Let's keep reading in Mark chapter 4. He said, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And you know what's interesting? Before we keep going, I, it says he spoke to them many things by parables. So this is a parable. The Lord would teach using very practical examples to explain very important spiritual lessons. Spurgeon said that an illustration or a parable is like a window bringing light into a dark room and allowing us to see clearly what is before us. And so that's what you have here in Mark chapter 4. But let's keep reading. Verse number 10. When he was alone... They that were about him with the twelve asked of him the parable. And he said unto them, Unto you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. But unto them that are without, all these things are done in parables, that seeing they may see and not perceive, and hearing they may hear and not understand, lest at any time they should be converted and their sins should be forgiven them. And he said unto them, Know ye not this parable? And how then will ye know all parables? Now that's a strange pa uh, few verses right there. He makes it sound like there are certain people he doesn't want to hear it. And I don't think that's the case, because he spoke to a great multitude, but not everybody in that multitude was all that interested in hearing what he had to say. If you remember, a lot of people really wanted to just catch him in his words and try to find fault with him. And if you go all the way back and remember Pharaoh with his hardened heart, it says that when God, before God led the children of Israel out of Egypt, it says there arose up a Pharaoh that knew not Joseph. How do you not know Joseph? You know what I mean? I've not heard much taught about that, but I thought about that once. I'm like, how do you not know about Joseph? Joseph had to be probably the most famous person in all of Egypt. What that tells me is that he was a man that didn't care to know Joseph and about Joseph's God. And so you have God hardening the heart of Pharaoh, but his heart was already hardened. But this is important. You've got to have ears to hear because you're going to learn what this, this parable is all about. It's a great truth. So verse number 14, this is what Jesus says. It says, the sower soweth the word. So you have four different types of ground in this passage, verses 14 through 20. You've got the seed that's sown by the wayside. You have the seed that's sown among stony ground. You have the seed that's sown among the thorny ground. And then the seed that is sown on the good ground. Verse number 14, Jesus said, The sower soweth the word. All these are they by the wayside where the word is sown. But when they have heard, Satan cometh immediately and taketh away the word that was sown in their hearts. So the ground is our heart. And in this few verses, you have some men are out of the way. 
They're off the narrow road. They're in church, but they're not involved. They appear religious, but they're uninterested. The wayside. They hear, but they do not listen to how God's word can change them. And what's interesting here, when the seed is sown by the wayside, Satan is not far from these people. Remember Peter, Mark chapter 8, when Jesus preached to him the gospel? He said, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to be crucified. And the third day I'm going to rise again. And Peter rebuked him. And what did Jesus say to him? He said, get thee behind me, Satan. One point in Peter's life, he was a wayside Christian. Isn't that interesting? And I've told this story before, but I read this passage and I think of so many people. And I think of my friend in college that was definitely fit this description. Boys and girls. If you're trying to toe the line of being a Christian and not being a Christian, that's a dangerous place to be. My friend whose dad was a deacon in a very big church where I grew up was just like that. He knew a lot about the Bible, and his dad made him go to church. And then he went to college where we became friends. And he would come to church with us, but he wasn't that interested. And I don't know if he was saved or not, but he ended up, he ended up having a lot of close calls, getting involved with the wrong people. Wrong people, fun people, do a lot of fun things. You know, Caden asked me once what I do for fun. Well, to a lot of people, I don't do a lot of fun. But I think this is fun. Serving God is fun. Living right is fun. Yeah, it really is. See, my friend Tyler would do a lot of fun things that I was not interested in doing. They're dangerous things. And he got involved with the wrong crowd, started doing drugs a little bit, just a little bit. But he came back and he would go to church and he'd feel sorry about it. And then one day he was in a coma and almost died. And I met him at the hospital and he told me I was the first person to come see him. And we both cried. I was so sad. I said, Tyler, I said, what are you doing, man? And then his friends showed up, his fun friends showed up while I was there. So he ended up passing away. Because he stayed with the wrong crowd. He, he didn't get out of the wayside. That was his choice. A very sad story. But I tell it often because it's a warning. It should be a warning to you young people. Because he was 18 years old. He had a lot of potential. He was real smart. He worked hard. He was real fit and athletic. But that doesn't mean anything. If you're a wayside Christian, you got Satan right behind you. Right over your shoulder. Just like Peter. Thankfully, he got things right. Okay, so you have that part of the ground, the wayside. The sower soweth the word. The ground is our heart. Those that are by the wayside, Satan cometh immediately and takes the word out of their hearts. Let's move on. Verse number 16. Jesus says, And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who, when they have heard the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves. And so endure for a time, but afterward, when affliction or persecution ariseth for the word's sake, immediately they are offended. This is a neat quote. The same sun that melts wax hardens clay. Some men have been through a lot, and rather than let the pain and suffering of life make them better, it has made them bitter. Each trial and marriage, work, child raising hasn't drawn them to Christ, but has hardened their heart against him. And preaching to this man is to plow through granite. Occasionally a sermon will make them glad, 
But when Monday comes, and with that also comes the bitterness of life, affliction. A lot of people in our church have some serious back pain. You guys have no idea what that's like. I have very little idea what that's like, thankfully. But there's a lot of affliction that comes with life and getting old. It's tough. Persecution. We don't get much of that here. We get a hard time. We don't get real persecution. I told a few of you what happened at work like last month when I was talking to a guy. I was talking to the welder, trying to witness to him. He wasn't that interested, so I was talking to his helper who was just sitting there doing nothing. And uh, he went on to tell me that he struggled with depression. I said, well, you are you a Christian? He said, no, I'm not. I said, well, that's the problem. I said, you don't know the Lord. And when I said that to the helper, the welder stopped welding, lifted up his welding hood, and laughed out loud. Yeah, and I said, why is that so funny? So then all of a sudden I'm talking to him again. I wasn't originally intending to. He just got set off. He did not like that. We got into it. It was pretty, pretty feisty. It got so bad. I mean, I was standing my ground, and I said, you know, man, you're, you're calling Jesus Christ a liar. He, oh, I would never do that. I said, well, you just did. He, he, was trying to, he was trying to say, well, you know, Christianity is not for everybody. He goes, I've tried that before. Well, I found out he grew up in a Baptist church as a kid his whole life. Walked away from it. And so I can't remember what it was. I said something in response to an accusation that he made or about the Lord of the Bible, and he said, he, he cursed me to my face. He screamed at me, told me to get out of there. And I did not know. That, that felt so weird. You ever had that happen? Probably not. Some of you have. It's not a good feeling. But you know what? That's about as close to persecution as I've ever come. And I was like, well, and I walked away. I was like, I don't know what to do now. But persecution arises for the words. But that shook me up. It definitely shook me up. And I haven't been shaken up like that in a long time when out witnessing at work or anywhere. I was like, man, I didn't. I thought about it for weeks. Like, what should I have done? But you know what? There are those that have stony, stony ground hearts. Some, something in their life comes up. Somebody gives them a hard time. And then they don't want it anymore. They don't want it anymore. If you haven't read The Pilgrim's Progress, you need to. Because when Christian begins his journey, he meets people like this. And they come with him. But then they get to the slough of despond, that swamp, and it's uncomfortable. And his friends that are with him say, ah, this ain't for me. And they go back home. Stony ground. And these are they likewise which are sown on stony ground, who when they have heard the word immediately receive it with gladness, and have no root in themselves. And so they endure for a time, and afterward when affliction or persecution arises for the word's sake immediately, they are offended. It doesn't take much to set off this man's temper. Thin-skinned, easily offended, lonely, not many friends, quick to pass judgment. They know everybody's motive behind their actions. Never pleased, never satisfied. This individual, though they may be saved, is no doubt sad. Very, very sad. You know, twice in the book of Job, Satan tells the Lord... That if he were to take away all the blessings in Job's life, that Job would curse God to his face. He says it two times. So Satan accused Job's heart of being stony ground before God. But you know, just because your heart is hard doesn't mean that everybody else's is. That was the mistake that he made. God knew his heart wasn't hard. He said, you ought to try my servant Job. God knows our hearts.
Stony ground. Let's keep moving. Verse 18. These are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches and the lusts of other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. One thing I want you to notice is that each type of ground is someone that has heard the word of God. They're not people that aren't familiar with it. They hear it. These are they, he said, each ground heard the word of God. There are people in church sitting in a pew next to some very high yielding crop Christians that are bringing forth fruit. Very fruitful believers, but they themselves live among the thorns and the weeds. Surrounded by sharp objects that won't necessarily harm their life, but they'll cause pain to anybody else that tries to get near them. That's what a thorn and a weed is. It's an annoyance to someone that's trying to get through it. Others that may try to pick their fruit only to be pricked by the thorn of their ambition or the thorn of their wealth or the thorn of their lust for vanity. The word is in their heart, but it's dead, just like it says in James chapter 2. These people heard the word. But they live among the thorns, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things. They enter in, and then they choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. Notice that it doesn't say the lust of the flesh enters in or the lust of the eyes enters in. It says that the lust of other things, how harmless other things to us seem at times. Other things could be anything, absolutely anything. The Lord says here that if we aren't careful, anything can kill our walk with him. When the stone wall of our heart is broken down and we allow thorns to grow up among the wheat without pulling the weeds from the garden of our heart, you gotta pull the weeds. I said that I grew up on a hobby farm. That's what it was. It wasn't a real farm. My dad grew up on a real farm, and he has a real farm now. But we had a big garden with lots and lots of vegetables. And one year, my mom planted 160 tomato plants, and that was a lot. Every day after school or practice, I'd come home, and we'd be, be picking tomatoes or pulling weeds. Pulling weeds is not fun. It's terrible. It is the worst. Like, it really is. Pulling weeds is not cool. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. The same is true spiritually. I don't like to pull weeds out of my heart. But it must be done. It takes, it takes effort to examine yourself. It takes effort to allow God to examine you. If you're not in the Bible, if you're not praying, if you're not in church and you're not paying attention, if you don't have ears to hear, you've got a lot of weeds growing around your garden. It's not good. They're going to choke the word because the word is being sown. It means nothing that you come to this church if you're just going to let the weeds choke the word that's sown in your heart every week. Are you with me? Does that make sense? This is a great chapter. Like a weed, other things start out small but can become dangerous to the health of the entire field when left alone. Small, very small weed can cause a lot of damage. A lot of damage in a garden. It can cause a lot of damage to the crop. 
And these are they which are sown among thorns, such as hear the word, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the lusts of other things, entering in, choke the word, and it becometh unfruitful. I am not a farmer, but I know a few things about farming, and farming is a really, really big investment. And it is a risky business. The sower has spent a lot of money on his seed that he planted in the field. This sower has put a lot of time, a lot of energy, a lot of his resources, a lot of labor, his kids' labor, <laughs> into this crop. Dare I say, the sower put his blood, sweat, and tears into his crop. The blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. Luke 22, you read about Jesus Christ weeping before he goes to the cross because he cared. Hebrews chapter 5, you read about how with strong crying and tears, he sweat in the garden as it were great drops of blood, and he was weeping. He's the sower. He's the sower, sowing the seed into your heart, into my heart. You're the ground. Think about this sower. All the time, all the effort, and all the money that he's put into your life to make you fruitful. And the choice is yours. You can't blame anybody for being an unfruitful, miserable Christian. Don't blame anybody but yourself. Man, farming is a very, very big investment. When a sower pours his heart and his soul into his field, how frustrating it must be to wait patiently through the summer only to find that the seed didn't yield any fruit and it withered away and died. Paul said, I do not frustrate the grace of God. A lot of Christians frustrate the grace of God. And how angry that he must feel, having realized that all spring, while he toiled in the field planting seed, it was a waste of time. I don't want to face the great sower having wasted his precious seed on me. His seed falls everywhere, and a lot of it's wasted, unfortunately. How disappointed the sower would be. So he could be frustrated, angry. I think this is more important than both of those. Disappointed. He'd be disappointed. There are people in my life that I don't want angry at me. When I was your age, I didn't want my dad angry at me. Now I don't really care. I'm a man, kind of. But I still haven't fixed my mower. <laughs> There are people you don't want angry with you, you know. But there are also people that in my life that when I was your age, and even today, that I don't want this to disappoint. I think the most effective coach that I had when I played sports, I can't, I can't even remember his name. But you know what I do remember? I just remember every time I would show up to train with him, I did not want to disappoint him. He just had this way about him. He was just a guy that I just didn't want to let down. I wanted him to be proud of me. There are people like that. I hope there's people like that in your life. I didn't want to disappoint them by giving a lack of effort when I could have done better. That's a great motivator. It's a great motivator. You don't want to disappoint the sower. Don't disappoint him. Let's, let's move on. Verse 20. And these are they which are sown on good ground, such as hear the word and receive it, and bring forth fruit, 
some thirtyfold, some sixty, and some an hundred. Remember, the ground is our heart. The good ground has much in common with the seed that is sown into it. The seed is the word of God. We mentioned that Jesus is the sower. Jesus is everything here. He's the sower. He's also the seed. Because the word of God was made flesh and dwelt among us. You know what Jesus said in John chapter 12? John 12, 24, he said, Except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He was talking about himself. So he is the sower, but he's also the seed that goes into the ground to die that he might bring forth fruit. Jesus is the corn of wheat. The seed dies so that it can grow and be fruitful. And if it grows and becomes fruitful, it will bless both God and man, thus fulfilling the promise that he made to Abraham, blessing all nations. So the good ground has a lot, is a lot like the seed. Because if you're a Christian with good ground, and you take the seed to heart, then you have chosen to, like the seed, die to yourself in order to live by faith and bring forth fruit. You've chosen to take up your cross and die daily, just like that seed dying. You know, it's, it's interesting because uh, the good ground brings forth fruit. This is probably my favorite point. I think this is, this is fascinating. Not a lot of you guys have a lot of experience in agriculture. That's okay. The fact that the good ground brings forth fruit doesn't do anybody any good in itself. If you look out on a field, have you ever seen a cornfield before? Yeah? There aren't a lot of them around here. Where I'm from, that's all there is. And you see cornfields, you see bean fields, you see wheat fields. You look at a field that's very fruitful, that fruit, if you just look at it, doesn't do you any good. That is, until the fruit is cut down. We're in Mark chapter 4. Let's read. Let's jump down to verse number 26. The fruit doesn't do you any good until it's cut down. Mark four twenty-six, And he said, So is the kingdom of God, as if a man should cast seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring up and grow up, he knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of herself, first the blade, then the ear, after that the full corn in the ear. Verse 29. But when the fruit is brought forth, immediately he putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. Immediately, immediately he putteth in the sickle. So in order for the sower to be benefited by the fruit of his labor during harvest time, he must take a sharp knife and cut that fruit down. Are you with me? You have to. That fruit has to be cut down. What a painful, humbling thing for such good ground and good fruit to have to experience in order to be profitable to the owner. I hope you, good Christian, aspire to have that sort of heart that will yield much fruit for your master, Christ. But you not, you got to know at some point when you're at your best, God just may put forth the sickle and cut you down. But if you're cut down, you cannot despair. 
because it's, it's for your good and it's for his glory. It's for the purpose. The whole purpose of sowing the seed was so that God could get the fruit. In order to get it, he has to cut it down. And that's a painful thing. It's a painful thing at times. And you know what? That's the end of a lot of Christians. When they get cut down and they get humbled by God and they get brought low, when you cut down the corn with the combine or with the sickle, that corn falls to the ground. But then the harvester comes and he picks it up. And they use it. They use it for feed. They use it for food. It's a blessing to everybody. And you know what? It happens when the fruit is at its, at its best. And so you might, you might be on top of the world at some point. You might be full of the Spirit, full of joy. God is blessing your life. And then you might just be cut down to the ground. And you don't know what happened. You think maybe Satan did it. Probably not. Probably God did it. He did it because he wants to use you. He wants to, he wants to take that fruit that's in your heart because you've got a lot there. We talked about Job earlier. There is no better example than him. Having all that fruit, man, he was blessed. He was the most blessed man on the earth. And God cut him down. He allowed the devil to take, it, take everything away that he had. And he said, Naked came I forth from the womb, and naked shall I return to the grave. The Lord gave, the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That should be our response, and that is not easy. So that fruit, that crop has to be cut down. It's got to be cut down. I'll say this then. So God is the sower. Jesus Christ is the sower. He's also the seed. The ground is our heart. At the same time, we sow the word. We sow the word as well. Though the Lord certainly is the great sower planting his word into our heart, into the heart of his children, he most certainly doesn't plant his field alone. He hires out the labor to husbandmen, and we are his laborers, and we are his husbandry. Come to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Let's take a look at that. He hires us to work in his field. First Corinthians 3. Verse number one, and I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal, whereas there is among you envying, strife, divisions. Are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I am of Paul, another, I am of Apollos, are ye not yet carnal? Who then is Paul? Who is Apollos? But ministers by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered. But God gave the increase. So then neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together with God. Ye are God's husbandry, ye are God's building. Okay. So we are laborers together with him. Jesus said that the field is white already to harvest. But the laborers are few. This world doesn't belong to us, but it belongs to God. And we labor for his harvest, for his profit. 
and he will certainly reward his laborers. But notice what it says. Verse 8, He that planteth and he that watereth are one, even every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. This is what we ought to be doing for fun. Working. <laughs> Sounds like something my dad would say. My friends hated coming to our house because my dad would put everybody to work. There was always work to do. When you're a farmer, there is always work to do. And the happiest farmers are the people that enjoy the work. They are. And you know what, Christian? You need to enjoy the work. You need to find pleasure in it. If you don't, you're going to be busy looking at all the other laborers in the field and talking about them and how you don't like the way they're working in the field. And you're going to be miserable. Focus on your row. You plant your seed and have fun doing it. Because it is a lot of fun. I enjoy it. And God enjoys it. So, there you have it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the teachings we have, the truth that we can learn. Please help us, God. Help us to be faithful. Help us to stay focused. Help us to love you, serve you better. Help us to enjoy as we serve you. Be full of the joy of the Spirit. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Great stuff. Appreciate that, Brother Gage. I want you to think about it for just a minute. We've got a couple minutes left. Four types of ground, Mark chapter 4. The wayside, the stony ground, the thorny ground, the good ground. Four choices. I, I need you to take a moment and, and ask yourself two questions. First question, which type of ground is your heart? Right? Because your heart falls into one of those four categories. Don't think about the person beside you. Don't think about your siblings. Don't think about the person on your row. Don't think about, right, just you. What type of ground is your heart in Mark chapter 4? First question. Come up with an answer. I, don't say it aloud. I want you to say the answer in your head. If you had to say, and I'm forcing you to, yes, you have to say, which type of ground is your heart? Wayside, where the devil's just pretty close by? Stony, where you're just offended because of some difficulty in your life? Thorny, where there's just other things choking out the word or good ground? Soft, pliable, humble, meek, just where God wants it to be because you want to bring forth fruit for him. Man, it is a great chapter. Really important thing about. So what type of ground is your heart? And then second question, what type of ground do you want it to be? Which type of ground do you want it to be? It's a really great lead-in to the theme that we're going to shift in uh, with the turn of the new year. Our youth rally theme is trust in the Lord with all thine heart. So we're going we're gonna to have some lessons in the coming weeks and months on trusting God and on where is your heart. And your heart is one of these types of ground, but, but what do you want it to be? What is your desire? 
Lord, help us. Let's pray one more time. Father, thank you, God, for this great truth from your word this morning. Lord, I, I believe we needed to hear uh, what this passage has to say this morning. And God, I pray, Lord, I, I, I don't know what type of ground is represented by each young man, each young lady. They're sitting here in church. That's a great thing. They're, they're in a good church. It's a great thing. Bible before them. It's a wonderful thing, but still possible to have any of those, any one of those four types of ground. And Lord, I, I pray that there would be a desire within us that our heart would be good ground to bring forth fruit for you. Lord, that we would, that we would love you enough to want that. God, that we'd appreciate what your son has done for us, that we'd appreciate it enough so that we want you to get something out of our lives Lord, I pray that you would deliver us from a wayside ground heart. God, that you would deliver us from a stony ground heart. God, deliver us from bitterness. Lord, deliver us from resentment. Deliver us from offense. Deliver us from that sadness, Lord. Deliver us from the thorny ground heart. God, deliver us from carnality and worldliness and lust and uh, temporal mindedness. God, deliver us from allowing just other things to, to choke out your word. Lord, give us a real true desire to have a heart that's what you want it to be and a life that is able to be molded and formed and fashioned into the image of your son, Jesus Christ. We pray in his name. Amen.